Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this podcast is my way of sharing advice about composing and songwriting from all sorts of creative people. About a year and a half ago, I was a judge for the Spin Tunes Songwriting Contest, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, and one of the contestants who really caught my ear was Felix Frost. His music has a really shiny pop sound, but it almost never repeats the same idea or melody twice. In fancy composing language, that's called through composed. Listening to Felix Frost's music is kind of like changing the channel every five seconds. I went looking for Felix Frost to interview for this episode and came across the wizard behind the curtain, whose real name is Ben Simon. Ben is a novelist at heart, and it shows up in his songs. Most of them have unique and twisting storylines around interesting characters like cowboys and pirates. And in this episode, we'll hear some of the stories Ben came up with for his concept album, Phineas Flux. But before we get to my talk with Ben, I'll just remind you that you can stream or download every Composer Quest episode for free at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you've been enjoying the show, consider writing a little review on iTunes. Thanks! Also, feel free to email me, charlie at ComposerQuest.com, to just say hi or give me some feedback on the show. Now on to my talk with Ben Simon. Ben, thanks for coming on to Composer Quest. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. I just um, really enjoyed your album Phineas Flux. Thank you. And it's a really cool concept. What did you call it? A double concept album? Yeah, yeah. It's like two albums, but this instead of having them side by side, they're interspersed, so every other song goes together. They're like match songs that are paired up. Yeah. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, originally, I mean, it took me four years to make, which is way too long, because originally I had ten songs, and it was taking me forever to finish them. But then I got involved in the Spin Tunes competition, as you know, which got me doing a bunch of songs that uh, thematically and sonically, they sounded very similar to what I had already been doing. And so I was like, you know, a lot of these songs could actually go together with songs I'd already written. And I'm like, what if I just do an entire album of prequels and sequels? That's cool. The first track I heard of yours was Leaving Lyman's Liquor Store. Yeah, yep. And that one stood out because it was like a, I was entering a totally different world. <laughs> it's cool that you just like, plop the listener right into this world with these characters that you really have no idea about but right. yeah. that, that m- makes it all the more interesting had to sell the shop to that baker Mr. Rice and as you drew the papers I blew they saved with dynamite the hope was light but it would have to surprise Sheriff Marshall Sharp came after me but I smashed a bell of ale and set fire to the trail he slipped right through it's cool that your story is about the Wild West, which you would think you'd want like folk gu- acoustic right. guitars and right. harmonica and something, but 
your approach is totally different. Right, and there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, for one, I wanted to sort of do something that sounded interesting and didn't necessarily reflect the themes, I guess, or the, you know, the style of what the actual song was talking about. And secondly, it was inspired by a musician that not many people know about named Brian Scary, who wrote a concept album called Daffy's Elixir, which is like a very large deluxe album set in the Wild West. And very little of it sounds like country music. And I thought, that's so interesting to be able to like write stuff about cowboys and hucksters and con artists that just is sort of like synth pop. Dodging the crux of a highway stampede. I make a break for living I thought that was very interesting, so and I wanted to emulate it or try. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe explain the story going on in your two tracks? So there's the track Leaving Lyman's Liquor Store, mm-hmm. and then the Partner sequel track, Lyman Boone and the Moonshine Scoundrel. Right. Okay, so the story is, it's a, a guy who owns a liquor store, sort of a self-made man who is successful but is greatly in debt due to various, I don't know, gambling or something like that. So basically he decides at one point that he wants to quit the liquor store business and become an outlaw, which, I don't know, people aspire to be outlaws, but in this universe they did. gets a bunch of rare gems then he's chased by the sheriff who eventually captures him at the end of that song and then bleeding into the next song the sequel track he meets a moonshiner who decides that he wants to start like sort of a bootlegging industry about rare liquor that is illegal because it's stealing profits from the main towns there's a bunch of subplots and things that go into it but basically they go off together and start making this special moonshine that has actually has the ground up gems that he stole so they're able to jack up the price because it has rare ore in it so they're selling that and then eventually they get caught and the moonshiner gets shot and then he says continue the business without me and we'll live on through the business we can keep this up for Where do you come up with your ideas for these tracks? Well, that's there's two totally different realms of which I get ideas from. One is kind of obvious, and it's other musicians, which is where that one came from. Like I said, Brian Scary, I wanted to do something sort of action-packed and exciting and campy. 
And then the other end is usually something very mundane. Like, a lot of the tracks on that Phineas Flux album are inspired by, like, an occupation. Like, for example, I was at, like, this art museum a long time ago in college, and I saw this set of pictures of blast furnaces. And I'm like, what if they're... I just wrote a song from the point of view of a guy who simply works at a blast furnace, and it's just him bemoaning his daily job of getting soot all over his face and how there's no women working there and he's sad. <laughs> and that's basically it. <laughs> that's the track Blast Furnace and that bleeds into him later becoming a miner, which is something I'm obsessed with apparently is mining and miners. I don't know. <laughs> I can't find my way out of my way back to yeah, so that that's actually kind of another way I get ideas is just like these strange obsessions I have that are stuck in the back of my head, like mining ore. I'm like, oh, that's such an interesting idea. So then I start writing tons of songs about something really simple, and then maybe it's boring, but something that at least satisfies my urges. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool how you can be poetic about one small thing like in the track about the person driving and did they hit a deer or yeah 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 it's about driving and not really know what you're doing with your life and then the various things that he comes across and one of which is a deer yeah <laughs> about that album is to sort of split half and half because the first 10 I did were more abstract like that one and ones that were just sort of about fruit another one of my obsessions was like poisonous berries but then the other half were more of like kind of pulp fiction-y things like the first two tracks are sci-fi two of them are about pirates and two of them are about cowboys so there's like it's blended in with sort of the mundane everyday abstract and like the really specific like almost Hollywood movie type stuff <laughs> mm-hmm one of the other track pairings i liked was sludge bucklers yeah that's the pirate caustic yeah. canyons mm -hmm. yeah the pirate would you want to explain what's going on in that story yeah i can try it's there's way too much plot crammed into the song it's something i sort of struggle with is that my lyrics are very like this happened and then this happened and then this happened and instead of just like having a story and sort of narrating as if the character of the story is writing the song i sort of like the song is like you're reading a book which is something I'm trying to get away with, get away from, <laughs> or maybe get away with too. But yeah, that song is about, it's from the point of view of a random crew member on a pirate ship who sort of idolizes his captain, as a lot of crew members do in pirate literature. <laughs> but um, I think, let's see, the first one, Sludge Bucklers, is they're, they're sailing around and they steal some stuff, and eventually they catch a bunch of upper-class like aristocrats who are trying to dispose of toxic waste in a lake or something. So they're dumping it in there, and the pirates say, hey, let's rob these rich people. So they do, and instead of getting money, they end up just getting a bunch of barrels of toxic sludge. And they're like, well, now what do we do with this? And then the world reveres them as heroes, even though they're pirates. And they're like, oh, you just saved the ecosystem, basically, because you stopped these people from dumping this into the lake. So they're like, oh, we're not heroes, but thanks. So then because of that, they start this huge class war where a bunch of, like, 
giant battleships come in from the upper class and they start attacking or whatever, and the pirates defend themselves by loading their cannons with the toxic sludge and shooting it at the uh, the aristocrats, which like burns through their sails and like just sinks their ships. So, needless to say, you're a writer yeah. at heart. Yeah, that's that's my first profession, quote-unquote, is writing, and then the, the music stuff is more of a, a sub-thing, a hobby. I'm curious about your process when you're coming up with songs. Do you come up with the lyrics and the story first? Yeah. The lyrics first, usually, like, in, in terms of what the song is going to be about, I usually actually just sit down and write the lyrics, and a lot of times it just sort of comes out as prose, and then I'll write the song, and that usually involves changing the lyrics a lot to either rhyme or just fit within the phrasing of the lyrics, which can be a big challenge, and can sort of sacrifice both ends of it, like, the lyrics can get worse because the words I wanted to use can't be used, and the music can get worse because it's sort of, like, I have to jump around with this awkward, like, verbal phrasing, like, cram too many syllables into a phrase, which makes the music sort of sound sort of sloppy at times, but that's the trade-off. Because it's not easy for me to just sort of, like, write as I go. Like, I can't play and sing at the same time. I'm way too much of an amateur for that. So I can't, like, be doing chords and being, like, singing along, oh, that's good, and then I'll write that down. It doesn't work that way. I have to do all the parts separately and then try to match them up as best I can. I think that helps make your music sound unique, though. Because a lot of the times it's like the rhythmic phrasing you have is really weird but mm-hmm. right. it's like not something that i've heard before so mm-hmm. and it's actually something i got from another one of my major influences i don't know if you've heard of the band the fiery furnaces they're sort of a no, indie band where they almost intentionally cram a lot of words into one phrase but that's i was like oh well if they do it i can do it <laughs> how do you come up with your melodies and what pitches you sing because it's to me it's like almost atonal sometimes yeah what you come up with yeah well that's definitely i think i do that in an unusual way too with a lot of it I actually wrote all of the music first like i played it on the keyboard and then mixed it and mostly produced it to the point where it was practically done and then i sort of like layer the vocals on top of that like i know you're talking to your cousin nate right about this at one yeah. time where he was saying that in their one of their music projects they were like their music had to be like a scale or something where they could only use a note once, and then they would just put the music on the vocals on top of that later as like an afterthought. That's how I do it almost every time. So it's sort oh. of like the the tone is dictated by whatever chords, if you can call them that, I'm using at the time. So the sort of vocal sort of like the vocal melody finds its way over what I'm already using. I haven't always done it that way, but that's the way that I found works the best. That's cool. I mean, it's a totally different style. Right. I don't know if anyone would have come up with those melodies just trying to sing them. Right, Because yeah. I don't know. Have you ever tried to perform your songs? No, I don't think I ever could <laughs> for a number of reasons. Technical skill being one and stage fright being the other. <laughs> <laughs> also, I wanted to mention that in the earlier tracks of the Phineas Flux album, I was actually experimenting with the vocal melody being not the most interesting melody in the song especially in Sludge Bucklers and the song Poison Berry. 
and a few others. There, the vocal melody is actually way simpler than some of the other things that are going on. Like the piano track might be going to do 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 all over the place, and the vocal track is just sort of like being the bass line note, the root note, as it were. You've described your music as through composed. Yeah. Which is basically just starting in one place and going from that place to another place and to another place, not really repeating anything. Mm -hmm. What do you think makes that work in a song? (laughs) That's a tricky question because I think if one thing doesn't work about my music, it's that aspect because my stuff tends to be very schizophrenic and sort of startling in its transitions. But there are a lot of artists who do it a lot better than me. And it's tricky because it's like in a lot of ways it doesn't work because if you're really like taking one section and changing into a totally different one, there's almost no way for it to, to not be abrupt and startling. You know, like there's an, uh, an album by the band of Montreal called Skeletal Lamping, which the entire thing is like my albums and that like you'll get you'll get a song a part of a song for 10 seconds and then suddenly totally different tempo, totally different rhythm, different instruments, everything just completely changes and it just makes you go, what just happened in my ears? And the thing is with me, like, I don't really understand what's the problem with that. Like, I don't mind abrupt and jarring transitions so much. Like, they're only startling the first time. You know, you hear the song once, you're like, whoa, that was, that was surprising. But then the second time, you're like, oh yeah, I'm waiting for it. I know it's going to come. But that said, I get the value of having a piece of music that's sort of unified and everything is easy to listen to and it blends and is sort of relaxed. Even if it's an exciting song, it can still be unified and go together. So what unifies a through composed song and what makes it work? I don't know, maybe thematic unity, you know, like the lyrics or something about it hopefully is tying it together. Um, lately, I've been trying to make my through composed pieces match better by either just having the same tempo or having similar instrumentation, because in the past, there's a lot of tracks on uh, Phineas Flux that, in hindsight, sound just uh, crazy. Like, I was pushing the envelope. Like, I really wanted to explore the through composed idea, and some of them, the later ones especially, there's one called Thinking Cap Conductor, which is about a crazy inventor, basically, where there's, like, about 30 pieces of music just stitched together, and almost every transition will make you, like, just, like, give you, not, not goosebumps and like that it's good, just in like, what? Ah, I just feel uncomfortable because it was so, the shift was so abrupt. That is kind of how I experienced the album. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like uncomfortable and hard to listen right. to. Yeah, I wanted it through. to be challenging, yeah. Yeah, but I think you're totally right about it being abrupt the first time you hear it, mm-hmm. but it just gets better with more listens. Well, yeah, I'm glad you think that. <laughs> and I'm a firm believer in that, like, you know, you get tired of parts of music after a while, so the fact that some of the the most interesting parts of the music might only happen once and only for a few seconds makes you want to listen to it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then every time you listen to it, it's less jarring and more exciting, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned your track, Thinking Cap Conductor. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is a perfect example of your, like you're saying, stitching pieces together. Right. When he's describing all these inventions... It's like all these mini little ads. Right, yeah, they're ads, exactly, yeah. (laughs) 
how important is it that people like your music? Uh, very little. Because <laughs> uh, if it were important, I would have been discouraged a long time ago. <laughs> but I mean, like, obviously, I don't. I'm not just doing it for myself. I want people to like it, but I realize that sometimes I'm a little stubborn and I want to do things too much my way. And I haven't really proven myself as a musician enough to get away with the stuff that I try to get away with, you know. Because, like I said, a lot of my stuff is inspired by the musicians I listen to, like the band of Montreal by frontman Kevin Barnes. He's been doing music since, I don't know, the 90s. And only recently did he start to do this crazy experimental stuff where he was like, he didn't care that if it, if it was uncomfortable to listen to. He didn't care if you didn't know what was going to happen next and if you were completely like shocked and appalled by what did happen next. How do you get in a creative mode? It, sometimes it takes a while. I mean, like, as prolific as people think I am, like, I'm just like anybody else. I spend, like, four hours staring at, what you know, a blank page or whatever, and I can't believe I get anything done, but I guess it just eventually it happens. It helps that I have a lot of ideas, you know? Like, I have a, I always have little notebooks full of ideas that I want to use in the future, and I'm always filling them up, so it's... Uh, without that, I would probably just drown. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have anything to go... Because, like, writer's block isn't the problem. It's motivation to get started, you know? And it seems like also maybe a key to it is not critiquing your ideas too much once yes. they're out there. Yeah, that's exactly true. Yes. <laughs> or until they're out there, I should say. Right, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about your producing yes. music. Because, yeah, how do you go about producing a track? That's probably the most fun part for me. Because, <laughs> like, once I have the stuff down, the instruments and even the rhythm track although i usually do that last the fun part is like putting them in and trying to find a way to make them sound like they're filling your ears as well as possible because i have a pretty mediocre microphone you know like so i'm not working with much but i try to use producing as sort of like my ace in the hole to make it sound as professional as possible so i mean i have a lot of tricks like taking a track and splitting it across and offsetting it slightly so that it's in both of your ears both of the channels you know the left and right channels because like if you at least with my software if you take one track and try to put it in both channels, it doesn't. It sounds like it's in the middle channel unless you offset it, which is a very strange thing. I don't know if that's a common thing in music. Maybe you can tell me. But like, I like depending on the the instrument, I like it to fill both ears. Like that's something that I'm kind of obsessed with. Like I don't like things to sort of be thin and off in the distance. I like it to be full. So the thing I'm the most proud of, I want it to be like a panoramic sound, like really in stereo. And then I'll usually put rhythm tracks in. <laughs> this is the tedious part. I'll like take a drum beat and put it in like on a, against a metronome click track, and then I'll fit in other ones. So I construct the beats manually with a computer, and then I'll usually try to put that in the center channel. And then I'll put like little accent beats to the left and right to sort of like fill it out. I'm sort of obsessed with adding sound effects. So that's another thing I used to spice up my recordings is different like noises, spaceship sound effects and different things I manipulate with stuff around my house or flangers and tremolos and stuff like that. And then of course I end up usually burying the instruments that I use. So I have to sort of like it's always a balancing act of like, oh, this is way under the rhythm track now, so I need to amp that up and turn the rhythm track down. So it's like you constantly are adjusting everything. And usually in the end recording, I'm like, my favorite melody line is, you can almost not hear it now. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. I wanted 
So it's it's really hard, but that's the the most fun. I know you said you you view it like painting, right? Producing, didn't you say that before? Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It's like you're taking the colors and you're like rearranging them and splashing them in different ways that are interesting to listen to. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and I think that helps make the through composed thing work too, is yeah. because even though you're changing ideas constantly. Mm-hmm. It's there's a lot of ear candy, right? Ear candy. That's exactly the word I use to describe it. Yeah, to make it sort of glamorous and like everything pops and it sounds shiny and new. And there's actually a trick I use over and over again, and I shouldn't, but to sort of ease those transitions in the through composed music, which is like I'll take a sound effect, and as one section of music is ending and the other one's coming in, I'll take a sound effect and like fade it in, sort of like, and then right when the next section comes, it'll go with like a cymbal crash. So it's almost like holding your hand through the transition, like, here we go, and we're on to something new. <laughs> oh, nice. Other than that, so that way it doesn't just clap and suddenly you're there. And it's, it helps a little bit, making it a little less jarring. <laughs> I've thought about doing an album or at least a few songs where it would be this jarring cut, like mm-hmm. a film cut or right. something. But you'd maybe hold over one instrument with each oh, cut. Oh, yeah. I don't know what would happen if it would accentuate that instrument, or you'd just... I guess, I would guess since there's so many new things coming in, mm-hmm. the new things would grab your attention, and then the other thing would just be kind of like glue Oh yeah, them. yeah. That's a great, I don't think I've ever used that, but that's something I definitely would have used if I had thought of it. (laughs) There's one trick that I think you can almost never use, but that the Fiery Furnace is used on an album called Blueberry Boat, where they're about to start a new transition or a new section of music. But before they get there, they start playing the rhythm track from the new section, which is in a different tempo and maybe even a different time signature than the one they're currently playing. So you're hearing the normal music, and then suddenly this other one comes around like... And it like clashes rhythmically in your head, but you're like, oh, something's about to happen. And then it leads you into that. So, you know, I mean, it's, it obviously sounds bad, but it sounds bad on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Adventurous. No, idea. I, I think, um, Elliot Carter is a famous composer mm-hmm. who did that kind of thing. I think he called it metric modulation. That was that same idea, like introducing a new time signature. Mm-hmm before a switch in time so that it's a little bit more smooth Mm -hmm. somehow that's really interesting i admire people who have the bravery to do stuff like that (laughs) yeah what's your next musical project it is uh, another concept album it's called uranium orchard and it's about this fantastical farm where they start discovering new kinds of like scientific elements within the seeds of the fruit so then the military comes and tries to get a piece of it, and the circus comes to town, but you find out that the circus is actually a front for, like, a mad scientist. So the the girl who inherits the farm, and one of these, the good scientists who comes in are trying to, like, save the farm. Mother always said the farm was special, and she swore by the soil till she slept beneath it. I always gave her a shrug, but ten years later I'd come to believe it. Corn and apple intersections that sliced out every little bitty kernel. I swam around in the juice, green glowing flies infernal. One thing I try to avoid, I don't know why, I just feel like I'm cheating, but it usually makes it sound really good, but is like I'll have a melody that I've made with the keyboard, especially if it's like a big and bright melody, 
and then I'll just sing that exact melody to the lyrics. Like it's this, the, the part is already there and I'm just like singing over it and like joining with it. And I try not to do that because I feel like I'm just like, oh, it's one less melody I'm coming up with because I'm lazy. But it ends up actually sounding really good because I know it all unifies, you know, because it's, it's already part of the background track. So I'm, I'm just mimicking it. Well, it, it makes it seem more intentional. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the benefit of it. That's like, I always think of when upright jazz bass players are doing a solo mm-hmm. and they like hum along with it oh yeah because uh, it's kind of like oh yeah this bass melody might seem random uh-huh. but i know what i'm doing right because i can hum along you know exactly with what you're about to play yeah yeah well what advice would you have for someone who is not necessarily a trained musician but they want to try making their own stuff I, my first thought would be like, well, if I don't have something going for me, I'm going to have something else going for me. So like, I guess original ideas, like try to be as fresh and unique as possible. Like don't take a Taylor Swift song and be like, I want to try to emulate that as best I can because that's what I like. You might like it, but like make it your own, you know, do something new. So then at least if you're like, somebody's listening to your music and it's like, ah, oh, this is not very well performed, but that's a really interesting concept. Then you at least have that going for you. That would be my advice. Yeah. So... You're going to take up the fortune cookie yes. challenge? Yes. Ha- oh, the fortune is over there. Hold on. I'll be right back. I'm going to get it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. The fortune is you will take a pleasant journey to a faraway place. So as soon as I can, I'm going to write a song inspired by that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your writing. Thank you very much. Looking forward to hearing more of your projects. Thanks. I'm glad. I'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with Ben Simon. For more of his music, visit felixfrost.bandcamp.com. I'll have links to all the music you heard in this episode at composerquest.com felix. Also, thanks to Brian Scary for letting me use Cable Through Your Heart from his album Daffy's Elixir. I'm glad Ben introduced me to his music because I'm really liking it so far. You can check out his music at brianscary.com. And that's B-R-Y-A-N. Do you want to run away with me On a wave of new technology It's the only way to be Our Fortune Cookie songwriting quest is coming to an end. Remember to send me your recording by this Saturday, December 14th if you want to be featured on the official Composer Quest Fortune Cookie album. Again, my email is charlie at composerquest.com. For more details about this quest, visit ComposerQuest.com Quest 6. And if you're listening to this episode after December 14th, just know that we'll have more quests like this in the future. So stay in the loop by visiting ComposerQuest on Facebook or Twitter. Tune in next week for the last episode of 2013. It'll be a special Christmas episode where I'll feature music from the past two quests. The children's Christmas musical Elfluenza... And the Christmas carols performed by the Amadeus Chamber Symphony. Now, I'll leave you with a sneak preview of Ben Simon's song for the Fortune Cookie Challenge. It's called Welcome to Boisenberg, and inspired by his fortune, you will take a pleasant journey to a faraway place. Hard times on hold To dry off and drive off
to some other place to grow, grow. And there's a farm out by.